Bible, let me invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. And before we get started, uh, Tony mentioned that I've been sick. Uh, Friday night I started running a high fever, and then I, I was still running a fever this morning. But I, I prayed a lot, and I believe it's by the grace of God that I'm here right now. Uh, so I'm glad to be with you, but if I'm not shaking your hand, that's why I'm trying to not spread the germs too much. I did wind up breaking down and going to one of those urgent care clinics yesterday uh, to try to figure out what was going on. And I told him, you know, I'm a preacher. I need to be ready to go tomorrow. Uh, he examined me and I said, you know, this is the second time in the last month that I've had to go see a doctor. And for several years before that, I didn't have to go to the doctor, so I was like, what's going on? Why am I getting sick so often? And I told him about how I just started working here about six weeks ago, and he said that he referred to this as a new occupational hazard. Uh, He said, you're a preacher, you're shaking lots of hands, you're meeting new people, and you're in a new environment, you're being exposed to new uh, germs and things like that. So if you ever thought that my job is easy, just know that apparently it's a hazard. So my job is, is dangerous. And I have been on a lot of medication, which helps me stand here right now. But uh, during the lesson, if I pause, you won't know if it's a dramatic pause for effect or if I'm about to faint. So <laughs> that'll at least help you stay in tune this morning. I started a series last Sunday morning that I titled Beyond Yourself, and really what this series deals with is the big picture in Scripture. All throughout the Old and New Testament, uh, the Scriptures deal with individuals and their lives and their details and some of Paul's letters and the life and teachings of Jesus, but there's also this idea that there's a big picture, that everything is pointing to God's work through Christ And that's pointing to our involvement with God's work through Christ even here today. So I'm looking at the big picture, the big idea in Scripture, and what it means to live beyond ourselves. Our lives are short. We looked at James chapter 4 last week, and in James 4 he says our lives are a mist that appears for just a little while, a short time, and then we vanish. And if our life is that short, if we're only here for just a short amount of time, then what are we living for? What's our purpose while we're on this earth? And surely we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves, and we can live in a way that lives even beyond ourselves. So as I was studying uh, for this series, for this lesson, I came across this story of an old football coach named Pepper Rogers. Uh, He was hired as the head coach at UCLA in the early 70s. This was before my time, but some of you may remember this guy. Uh, He came in. I think it was 1971, as the new head coach, and he was running this offense called the Wishbone. Anybody remember the Wishbone offense? Uh, Yeah, at at one point in time it worked. It doesn't work anymore. But he came in, this hot new young coach, running the Wishbone, and it didn't work. The first few games, uh, the offense looked terrible. UCLA lost. And he told his wife, everybody in Southern California hates me right now. The alumni hates me, the fans hate me, the faculty hates me. He said, I go to a restaurant and people won't talk to me. And that's how much they love football. They didn't like him. So he told his wife, he said, I think every man needs at least two male friends. Two male friends that are good, close friends. And he said, I only have one, and that's my dog. 
And she went out and bought him another dog, and she said, well, now you have two. That, that's how bad the season was going for him. A uh, few, few games go by, they're still losing, and some alumni with a lot of clout came up to him and said, it's time you change the offense. This isn't working, you need to change. And they demanded that he change, but he wouldn't budge. And the word got out, and later he was in a press conference, and they asked him about why he wouldn't change, why he's refusing to change, and he said this, the wishbone is like Christianity. If you believe in it only until something goes wrong, then you didn't believe in it in the first place. It's a pretty strong quote. The only person I've ever seen compare Christianity to the wishbone offense, but I get what he's saying, and I'll say it again. The wishbone is like Christianity. If you believe in it only until something goes wrong, then you didn't believe in it in the first place. And I think there's some depth to what he's saying here. And we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 11 here in just a moment. But I think, a little background on the book of Hebrews, this is what they are struggling with. How, How deep is your commitment to Christ? Because one of the things that the audience, the original audience who would have received this letter... That's what they're struggling with. They're asking themselves, is it worth it? Because times are getting difficult. They are tempted. Here's the temptation the original audience is struggling with. uh, To renounce Christ and to just go back to the law of Moses. Okay, In the first century, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some, for a while, gave Paul, the Apostle Paul, credit, and that's the reason why Hebrews was included into the 27 books of the New Testament. Only later, that's disputed, and then people said, no, there's no way Paul would have wrote this. But we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I just have faith, and I believe that God wanted Hebrews in there. And it's in our New Testaments. So we don't know who wrote it, but we know a little bit about the audience. In the first century, uh, there came a time when Christianity became illegal, and Judaism and Christianity were, they were being distinguished from one another. It was legal to follow the law of Moses to be a Jew. You were not punished for that by, in any way. But to be a Christian, horrible things were starting to happen. They were being persecuted and marginalized. Uh, authorities were coming to their homes and arresting Christians, the dads, throwing them in prison, taking their property away from them, separating families, and in some extreme cases, Christians were being killed. All because they said they were followers of Jesus and a part of this church. So the temptation is to just renounce your faith in Christ and say, I'm just going back with Moses. That's what they're dealing with. And they're asking themselves, is it worth it? Most of Hebrews deals with this temptation to commit apostasy to deny faith in Christ. Because Moses was legal, Jesus was illegal, if that's a simplified way of of understanding it. So we're going to look at Moses this morning. We're going to do a little case study on Moses, but we're going to look at Moses through the eyes, through the lens of the Hebrew writer. Starting in Hebrews chapter 3. Let's see what the Hebrew writer has to say about Moses. We know Moses from the book of Exodus, from the Old Testament. But he starts here in chapter 3 and verse 1. I'm just going to read through this and and stop and comment on something here or there. So I I hope that you can follow along and copy the text. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in a heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, 
the apostle and high priest of our confession, or our faith, depending on what version you have, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. I'll talk more about this word house in just a second. But he he sets the stage. There's Jesus and there's Moses. It's illegal to follow Jesus at this point in the first century, but legal to follow Moses. So he sets the stage and he says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest. This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called an apostle. We have an idea of who the apostles were. We know Jesus called 12 apostles. Uh, The word apostle means sent ones. But this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus is called an apostle. Why is that? Well, an apostle represents God to man, but then he's also a high priest. And what does a high priest do? A high priest represents man to God. So Jesus does both. He represents man and he represents God. He's the apostle and the high priest. And he was faithful in what God called him to do, just as Moses was also faithful. Now, not only was it legal to be a Jew in the first century and to practice the rituals and the law of Moses, but Moses himself was held in this very high regard in the first century. We know who Moses is. If you've gone to Bible class, you have an idea of who Moses is, and maybe you appreciate him as a character. But in the first century, they viewed him so highly, in almost a godlike esteem. He was considered larger than life. He was considered the greatest person who had ever lived. The, the name Moses was used over 762 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament. So when he says Moses... He's referring to somebody who's very important to them. And look at verse 3. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So he says Jesus was worthy of more glory than Moses. Or some of your versions may say Jesus was greater than Moses. That's a huge statement. Again, place yourself in position of being that original audience reading this letter And you read that. Jesus is worthy of more, of greater honor than Moses. That's a huge statement. He continues on. He said, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And then he's going to talk about God's house. So he uses this word house quite a bit in these six or seven verses here in chapter 3. The Greek word for house is this word oikos. And that's an important word in the New Testament. Because by the time a lot of New Testament books were written, Christians had been kicked out of the synagogue. They were being distinguished, as I mentioned, between Jews and Christians. They were kicked out of synagogue, so they didn't have church buildings at the time. So the place where they would gather to worship was in the oikos, in the house or the household. That's where they would meet. So this word is important, but oikos means house or household, but it can also refer to temple or building. So he's using this word, and he's going to refer to God's house. And he says in verse 5, Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. Maybe some of your versions say as a slave, and I'll talk more about that in just a second. To testify to the things that would be spoken later. Christ, however, was faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we hold firm to the confidence and the pride that belong to hope. 
So he compares, again, Moses to Jesus in God's house, and he says that Moses was a slave, and Jesus was a son. Now, in our American history with slavery, we have a very nasty history. Slavery in American history was based on race. So we kind of view, when we read the New Testament, when we, we see the word slave or slavery, we read it through that lens of our American history. But if you can kind of separate yourself from that for just a moment and think about this Greco-Roman world, slavery was not based on race. In fact, most of the time, if you were a slave, you were born into slavery. But slavery was very common in that Roman world. At least one-third of all the people were slaves or had been slaves at one point. So just walking up and down the streets, going to someone's house, slavery was very common. It, it wasn't such a negative thing like we would view it today. Now, slavery was harsh. It, it wasn't something to celebrate. You wouldn't want to be a slave. I'm not trying to downplay that. Uh, but he refers to Moses in God's house as a slave, as a servant, but Jesus is a son. So in a household, there are no slaves who are equal to a son. So again, he's making this point that Jesus is greater than Moses. This new covenant that Jesus brings is greater than the covenant that God made with Moses, than the law. And the whole point of this letter is he's saying, don't crumble, don't fall back and revert back and renounce Christ. But there's someone who is greater than Moses. Okay, so that's chapter 3. Now flip over to chapter 11. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11, Again, we're staying with our focus on Moses, but I'll give you a quick background on Hebrews 11. This is known as the faith chapter, or we call it the hall of faith. Starting in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Faith is being sure of what you hope for and convicted of what you do not see. That's a description of what faith is. We believe in God, and, and for us and for the original recipients of the letter of Hebrews, we may not see Christ. He may not be here in the flesh, but we believe. That's faith. And so for the rest of the chapter, in chapter 11, he, he goes through what's called an, in the Greek an anaphora. That means he, he stops using transitions and he just says, by faith, by faith, by faith. And he uses all these different characters. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abram or Abraham. And then by faith, Moses, and then so on. By far, Abraham and Moses received the most attention in Hebrews chapter 11. But for the sake of this lesson, we're going to focus on what he has to say, what the Hebrew writer has to say about Moses. So look at chapter 11 and verse 23. He's going to start with this statement, by faith, by faith, Moses. But to start off, he's not just talking about Moses, but he's talking about Moses' parents. And he says, by faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the, a little background on this. Uh, this is referring to, in the Old Testament, Exodus chapters 1 and 2, where Pharaoh comes into power, and he makes this rule that out of the Hebrew people, out of the Israelites, when babies are born, if it's a female, keep it. If it's a male, then kill it. And Moses' parents did not, obviously did not want to kill their son. Uh, sometimes when I'm putting my daughter Addie to bed at night, uh, when I need to calm her down, you know, you, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can play the Bible and listen to it. 
And I don't know if that's the best tactic that she falls asleep listening to the Bible. Maybe it's not a good habit to create in her, but it works sometimes, so we do that. So we were listening to the story of Exodus not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. And I pressed play on Exodus chapter 1. We were relaxing, listening to it. And then after Exodus chapter 2, I thought she was asleep, but she kind of piped up. And she said, Dad, I'm really glad that this Pharaoh is gone now. And I said, why is that? She said, because I really like Christian." And it made, I was like, that was very sweet of you, but it made me really think about this story and what was going on in the story of Exodus, and kind of the reality of it started to sink in a little bit, and how brutal and barbaric it really would have been. But the author here says that by faith, Moses' parents hid the baby and took care of it, and didn't follow what Pharaoh was saying to do, because they had faith. And then in verse 24, it says, By faith, this is now Moses has grown up. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And we're going to focus in, in verse 25 and 26 for a lot of the rest of this lesson. But look at verse 25. Choosing rather to share mistreatment, or my version says ill treatment, with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's break that down for just a moment. You know, again, I was thinking about the original audience that would have received this letter and the parallels they would have seen to what Moses went through and their own situation. Choosing to suffer, choosing to be mistreated, choosing ill treatment with the people of God rather than to choose the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's what they were dealing with. They could choose to identify as a Christian and suffer for it rather than to choose the fleeting pleasures of sin. So let's look at this first part in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. Moses chose ill treatment. Rather than to be called uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin or the treasures of Egypt, he chose solidarity. He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to live in luxury. Uh, a couple of decades ago, there was an NFL football player named Gerard Cherry. And I promise not all my examples will be sports examples, just most of them. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll work on that. But this guy named Gerard Cherry, he played for the, the Patriots when they won uh, three Super Bowls in the early 2000s, and they're still winning Super Bowls. But this guy, Gerard Cherry, number 30, he wasn't a starter. He was a backup. He played on some special teams. But he has three Super Bowl rings, which is worth a lot of money. Uh, he, he played special teams in one of the games. He, he had three tackles. That was his claim to fame. He said that after the game was over and they were throwing all the confetti on the field and everybody was celebrating, he thought to himself, this can't be all there is. For most people, this would be the pinnacle of life, the greatest achievement. But he thought, this isn't very fulfilling. There's got to be more to life than this. But he just kind of kept that thought to himself. They won a few more Super Bowls. He has those Super Bowl rings, and then he retired. And then later on, he was at a fundraiser. And they were raising money for an orphanage in a third world country. And that kind of captivated him a little bit. He was thinking about the suffering that God's children were having to endure in other places in the world. Somebody jokingly said to him, you should sell one of your Super Bowl rings and help fund this orphanage. And they were just joking, but he went home that night and he couldn't sleep. He said he stayed up all night thinking about that. 
And he concluded, that is what I need to do. I need to sell one of my Super Bowl rings and help provide for God's children in this orphanage in this third world country. And I don't remember what country it was. So he figured out a way to sell the Super Bowl ring and maximize the bidding and and make a lot of money off of it. He chose a Super Bowl ring that meant the most to him, that game where he had the three tackles. Sold the ring, provided for the orphanage, and that changed his life. And he started to realize he, as a former NFL player, he has a lot of luxuries. He's been very blessed. He has a lot of wealth and a lot of money. But he decided that day that instead of choosing to just sit around and live in this luxury, he's going to use the things that God has blessed him with to bless others. So that started a new journey in his life. And I thought about that as I was reading chapter 11, verse 25. Moses could have lived in luxury, and he, and he had that opportunity, but he chose rather, according to the Hebrew writer, to be mistreated along with God's people or to share in their ill treatment. He chose solidarity rather than luxury. And it said rather than to choose the fleeting pleasures of sin, which is the second half of verse 25, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is temporary. Again, like we talked about last week, life is very short. And we can spend our lives focused on ourselves and what feels good in the moment and pleasing ourselves, but that is so unfulfilling. You know, just like beauty is fleeting, whatever sin it may be, whether it's something that seems so large or something that just seems like a small decision, it's temporary. These pleasures of life, And these treasures that sometimes we value way too highly, they're temporary. And the Hebrew writer is saying that Moses knew that. He knew that sin was a fleeting pleasure that wasn't going to last. And again, as I was studying this, I thought of another story. A story I came across last year about this doctor. His name was Dr. Farid Fata. Worked in Detroit, Michigan. He was a doctor uh, for cancer patients. Or that's what he became. He became a millionaire, quickly. Uh, For a period of of a few years, he intentionally misdiagnosed over 500 patients with cancer. They went through all these harsh cancer treatments. Uh, He made lots of money off of the insurance claims. And it came out later that all 500 of those patients did not actually have cancer. And he knew that. He just diagnosed them with cancer so that he could make money. Some of them died. Some of them are permanently damaged because of this. But he enjoyed the fleeting pleasures of sin. He enjoyed that money for a short time and then eventually was caught. And now he's in prison for 45 years. But at his trial, you know, he broke down crying and had a chance to speak. And he said his sin drove him to this. His sin, his need for power... His greed for money drove him to make these horrible decisions and to leave behind him a path of destruction. All because he chose the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose what would maybe be easy in the moment rather than what's hard in the moment but more beneficial in the long run. He chose the fleeting pleasures of sin and because of that he left behind him a path of destruction. So we have to make these decisions in our daily lives. 
whether it seems like a small thing or a big thing, you know, we're going to tell that lie, are we going to gossip, are we going to look at that thing that we don't need to look at, you know, in small daily decisions or big decisions, we choose whether or not we're going to give in to the fleeting pleasures of sin or be a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves, something that will last beyond our own lives and make decisions that will help advance the kingdom of God. Okay, verse 26 um, says, chapter 11, verse 26, He considered abuse suffered for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Let's pause on that for just a moment. He considered abuse suffered for the sake of Christ, or for the Christ, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That sounds like a powerful statement. The only problem with that is it's a bit odd. It's odd that the writer words it this way because when Moses was alive leading the Exodus, this was before the times of Christ. So it's weird that the writer says this, that it includes the name of Christ, and that's the reason why Moses did what he did. Well, why does the Hebrew writer word it this way? I think, again, because he's saying that Moses' purpose was beyond his own life. That the point of Moses was to testify, which we read from chapter 3, to testify beyond himself to someone that would come after him. He suffered, and the writer says, for the sake of Christ, rather than choosing the treasures of Egypt, because the point of Moses was that not that Moses was to be worshipped or to be viewed in this godlike esteem, but the point of Moses was that he was a part of something greater than himself, bigger than himself, and his purpose was to help pave the way for Christ. That was the purpose of his life, and that's the purpose of our church. Like, our purpose is not to leave behind us a path of destruction, but our purpose through our individual lives and as a church, is to point people to Christ. To testify to someone who is greater than us. That extends beyond our own life. And if we want to live beyond ourselves, we point people to Christ. To help benefit generations that will come after us. And he says that part, and then the end of verse 26. He says that Moses was looking ahead to his reward. Verse 26, he's looking ahead to his reward. So what does he mean by that? You know, last week we looked at James chapter 4, and James says, you shouldn't say we're going to go set up a business and make money and do this or that, because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. So I don't think this is contradicting what James says, but I think the perspective that Moses has, according to the Hebrew writers, he has this eternal perspective. He's looking ahead and how short life is, and he's not choosing the easy things now. He's choosing the hard things now to create something better for the future. And he was looking ahead to his reward, and his reward was not some earthly reward. The reward he was looking to was an eternal perspective. He was looking ahead to that. There's a, this is a picture of a man named Daniel Gilbert. He is a uh, researcher and psychologist with Harvard University. And through his studies, he estimates that the average adult spends 12% of the day thinking about the future. Does that sound like you? 
Do you spend 12% of the day thinking about the future? Maybe you do it subconsciously and you don't even realize that you're doing it. But I catch myself daydreaming about the future sometimes. And I think about how quickly life is going by and I think about what's it going to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. You know, 20 years from now, I'll be in my 50s and then life will, and my kids will be older and growing. You know, life's just going by so quickly. I think about the future and I don't even realize that I'm doing it. And he says that we have ways of, of looking at the future in daydreams and in our mind and our subconscious in detailed ways. Things that we don't even know what will happen. But we look to the future. We think about the future. And, and the Hebrew writer says that Moses was looking ahead. He was looking ahead to his reward. And if we're going to look ahead, what are we looking ahead towards? You know, one of the things that really compelled us to the Pine Tree Church of Christ was this vision that you have and these seven commitments. And in kind of broad ways, I've been mentioning this vision, and starting in the fall, we'll get a little more practical with that. But I admire the fact that we're looking ahead to something. We're saying this is what we want to become as a church, not just to please ourselves and our own routines or traditions, but because we want to, to leave a path to follow for future generations. We want to advance the kingdom of God, and we're looking ahead not only here and now on this earth, but we're looking ahead with an internal perspective. Uh, this morning, as, we, as I get ready to wrap this sermon up, again, you know, I've mentioned that I've been taking all this medicine, and uh, I, I think I've made it through it, but I hope it made some sense. But I really think about this last little passage looking ahead to his reward. And I think about the way the Hebrew writer uses Moses, that Jesus was greater than him, and Moses knew that. He was testifying to someone that was greater than him, and he chose to suffer for the sake of Christ. He chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin because he was looking ahead to his reward. This morning we're about to offer... Uh, and a chance to respond if you need to do that. Some of you, maybe you're not looking ahead towards anything because you don't know how you're going to spend eternity. If that's in question, you can find a shepherd, you can come talk to me, and we will help you with that this morning. If you need to respond, if you need to speak with a shepherd, they'll be scattered around the building, some in the back. Uh, but you're welcome to respond while we stand and sing.